thank you all for listening this week. Um, it's been a pretty busy time in the NBA with things getting started. And uh, there's one story that's really stood above all. Uh, it's not Steph Curry putting up 62 points, but it's the Phoenix Suns being tied for the best record in the West, which is why I decided to bring on um, at Shrieky Shooter on Twitter, also known as Shrieker, um, Phoenix Suns All-NBA Twitter. Uh, thank you for joining the program. Thanks. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, like I said, um, it's been a pretty uh, like hot start for the Suns. Uh, they did lose yesterday to the Clippers, but overall, um, I guess this was a team that you might have high expectations for after the bubble and after the addition of Chris Paul. Um, what have you seen so far this season like relative to your expectations um, for how the team has performed? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's been it's been a great start. Can't complain about uh, five and two now after a shockingly close loss against the Clippers last night after they were down thirty one. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it, it's definitely definitely been a good start. Um, I think what I my expectations for this team before the season started was I actually thought they I had them in as sort of like around the fifth seed in the West when the season's over. Um, I was I'm pretty high on this team, uh, but I did think. The, right out the gate, they might struggle a little bit to get used to the Chris Paul and Devin Booker dynamic. So uh, five and two is better than I expected to be at this point. Um, definitely back-to-back wins against Utah and Denver. Um, some pretty pretty convincing wins in there. So they look good right now, and they still absolutely have some stuff to figure out. So um, I think they could definitely beat the expectation uh, if they keep improving that I had heading into the season. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty crowded West. I think um, a lot of I think most people probably thought you would vault into the spot where OKC was, you know, leaving, but uh, everyone else would probably stick around. So you're not really sure where you land. And you definitely look really good defensively. Um, that was one thing that really stood out. Uh, I think I watched the Pelicans game where you guys were absolutely destroying them um, and, you know, uh, really playing well. And then the ending of the Denver game was also pretty impressive. Um, I guess one thing that was kind of interesting to me is that there's still some like growing pains in terms of the lineup of Aiton, Booker, and CP3. Um, I think there were some stats circulating on Twitter that they actually had a negative net rating. So I guess what are some things that you hope to see uh, like they that they improve on, um, maybe like with pick and roll or like ball movement or anything? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of issues to figure out, especially in the offensive end and with the starting lineup, especially because really how they've been winning games is uh, the bench has been great, the defense has been great, and then when Booker and or, uh, when Booker and CP3 are staggered, and one of them is sort of playing with uh, without the other, uh, they've been really strong. So uh, these are all good signs, in my opinion, because if the biggest problem right now is that the two best players on the team can't quite figure out how to play with each other play with each other and they're still five and two i think that's pretty damn good um and, and they're both smart players so I, I have trust in them to figure it out i think the biggest issues have been they, they start with uh their offense looks a little clunky at times but with the, when they try to get a eight and post touches when all three of them are on the floor rather than just playing like they do the rest of the game uh, so that's just something for them to figure out i think they're starting to get a little bit more comfortable booker has not played up to a standard until maybe the last game and a half or so um, so he's starting to get better, uh, and Aiton has also been better over the last two games. So I think I think they'll be fine. Yeah, he was certainly um, he certainly warmed up in the Utah game, uh, which was also um, pretty cool. The the thing that you did uh, where you were donating based on the amount of points he had scored. Um, so he he's looked better in I think the last few games, and uh, he had 
quite an interaction with Paul George in the previous game. Uh, you can kind of see him also, uh, you know, kind of entering more of a conversation nationally. Um, and I guess that that's maybe also something I was interested in. Like Phoenix has kind of been a place that's, um, you know, derided in terms of uh, how the, how the nationally people view them. You know, most of the conversation is about the owner and how uh, he doesn't really care. Um, and, you know, you obviously uh, keep bringing up the Draymond quote about how you should get Booker out of Phoenix. Um, is it kind of, I guess, as a fan, like, is it nice seeing that people are giving more respect to the team? And, like, what, what what's that been like? Yeah, it, it definitely is nice. I'm not going to lie. I think, like, it helps, especially when, you know, Devin Booker, I said for years now, I think it's been obvious to anyone who's watched him play that he's really, really good and has been on crap teams. So it's been nice that, you know, if they keep this up uh, and they make the playoffs as we expect them to, like, he will have some validation. And I think he will make the playoffs for the first time in his career. And it kind of was a make-or-break season for the Suns this year uh, to make the playoffs. If they didn't, um, you know, that would be six years in the NBA without Devin Booker uh, in the playoffs. And, you know, he's he's under contract for four more years. But, you know, at, at a certain point, it starts getting a little – uh, frustrating, and I would totally understand if he uh, didn't necessarily see a future beyond another year or two on, in Phoenix. So I think it was a huge year, hugely important year. Um, so I'm glad to see them heading in the right direction. I think this TB3 move was absolutely the move they needed to make, and uh, and it's looking good so far. Yeah, I mean, like you had even mentioned, uh, I know Booker's under contract, but especially things were looking a little dicey before the bubble because, um, you know, the rumored, like, trio of him, D'Lo, and Cat was taking form in Minnesota, and everyone was talking about how, um, you know, Minnesota would try and offer Phoenix a package to acquire Devin Booker, and really it's it's swung totally in the, in the right direction for them. And I think, um, you know, one thing that that can be attributed to is uh, James Jones and uh, Monty Williams. Um, what has been, like, your impressions of their, uh, of, the, of the job they've done so far, um, you know, especially with James Jones, because his moves may have seemed a little bit unconventional with drafting Cam Johnson and uh, Jalen Hill. Um, but like, it, it seems to be working. Do you have any um, positives or negatives that you've taken from, you know, their work so far? Yeah. I mean, I think James Jones has been great. I think a lot of his moves when he, when he did them at the time, um, he was criticized for, like you were just saying, Cam Johnson. Uh, I don't think anyone expected them to draft Cam Johnson um, that draft, but what that effectively ended up being was they traded Jarrett Culver for Cam Johnson and Dario Saric, which mm-hmm. in hindsight now is an incredible move. And Cam Johnson has been great. Um, we'll see what Jalen Smith uh, looks like. I think that was kind of a heat check for James Jones this year. After he hit on Cam Johnson, he was like, you know, I'm not going to listen to any of the draft boards. I'm just doing my own thing again. Um, the jury will, is out on that one. But otherwise, you know, the signings he's made, the trades he's made, trading Ariza for Ubre straight up and then using – Ubre and Rubio to trade for CP3, I think, and then signing Jay Crowder. I, I, he's kind of, uh, it's nice to see a competent general manager in Phoenix after, you know, years of the opposite of that. Right. Um, I think the McDonough years are, are pretty well documented in terms of how some of the moves he made were pretty suspect. Um, but, uh, you know, like you said, the, the Jalen Smith pick was a little bit of a heat check. I think Halliburton has looked really good so far, and I think he would have just fit perfectly into this team. But, you know, we'll see. It, it, you know, if Jalen Smith can develop into, like, the role where he, he stretches the uh, the court and plays maybe more an outside role than 
then uh you know he's hit on it obviously so i guess now like like you had mentioned uh, kelly Oubre, uh i'm i'm a warriors fan so he has been a constant source of misery but also flashes of you know joy um what did you see like in his time in phoenix that maybe can give me more hope than him shooting like five percent from three like what what can i expect <laughs> yeah i mean he, he can't get worse than this he he's a better player than he's played in the first six or however many games on the warriors um so i think i think he'll get better uh there were definitely Actually, to back up for a minute, I think he was better in Phoenix than I uh, thought he would be when we traded for him, when they traded Ariza for him. Um, he was uh, a pretty fine starter. He, again, ha- like you were saying, had flashes, but de- definitely displayed more consistency in Phoenix than he's shown so far in um, in Gold State. Well, I guess that's not true. He has been consistent in Gold State. He's just been consistently bad. Um, but in Phoenix, no, he was a, he was a pretty consistent starter. He... Uh, he he would he would be somewhat streaky with his shooting, uh, and he'd have flashes of defensive brilliance on ball or or, or with his blocks, but fall asleep off the ball. Um, he's just the classic sort of high potential wing where he, he shows you flashes of things he can do, um, and he can really do anything, but he never does them all um, at the same time or at, at a consistent pace for like weeks at a time. So, Long story short, I think he's better than he's been. I think he, he'll improve and he can be uh, an average starter with the right sort of personnel and coaching around him. Yeah, and I think that's like, that's the hope, uh, really, because outside of dunking, he and, you know, providing some high energy defense, I would say, he gambles a little bit too much, but, yep. you know, he, he does provide a lot of energy and um, he will, he knows when to like maybe flop on a chart or like flop on a screen or like do something to kind of swing momentum. But I think his offensive IQ is not really where I'd want it to be. Um, but yeah, I yeah. guess, I guess that's, you know, I, not to talk a little too much about the Warriors, but obviously Steph had a really big game last night and they, they are obviously a very polarizing team uh, in terms of how people want to view them. Uh, they, they were, you know, really cocky when they were perennial team and now they are kind of dealing with the problems that, you know, mid-tier teams uh, have. Are you someone who thinks that they, you know, are a playoff team or do the three blowouts kind of stick out more in your mind? Where where are you in terms of your opinion of them? I thought before the season began that they would be a playoff team in terms of like maybe around the seventh or eighth seed. And I, I'm not, I haven't changed my mind too much about that. I think they're a play-in team. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't, I think, you know, it's not it's not unlikely that they are hovering around the nine or ten seed um in, in my opinion even after the last few games uh i think we've in my uh to be honest like i think we've seen the worst of the warriors so far i don't think we'll consistently see them you know being blown out by 30 points um and i think as steve kerr sort of simplifies the offense and tries to make the game a little bit easier for everyone other than steph uh steph can do his thing and i think they'll they'll be one of those teams where They'll lose some games, but they'll, they'll be competitive, and I think they'll be right there on the play-in tournament spots. Yeah, and, um, you know, just, just for people who don't know, the way they're doing the, the, the playoffs this year is they have the 7 through 10 seeds are doing a play-in tournament, uh, so 7 will play 8, and the loser will play the winner of the 9-10, uh, you know, to determine the 8th spot in the playoff. So really, as long as they, 
you know, get get to the 10th seed, they're, they just have to win two to be in, which sets up, a, you know, some interesting scenarios because the West is is really crowded. And, and that's something that I also wanted to ask you about where right now, if, you know, this obviously is not happening and, and it's, you know, it's just a screenshot of how the West looks right now. But if the, you know, if things started today, um, the Nuggets and the Mavs would even be outside of the play-in um, while the Kings and the Thunder would be in. Um, so I guess what are are there some teams that maybe like you know like Denver like the like Dallas who were projected to be high that you think that you know they'll be able to rebound from or do you think there are going to be some teams who um, you know who might be lower than than people had expected to at the start of the season? Yeah, it's, that's a great question. I think uh, so. I think both of those teams, Denver and Dallas, will be fine in terms of being playoff teams. Uh, I was pretty high on Denver before the season. I think they'll be okay, even though, you know, they'll probably be one of those teams that's incredible on offense and can't really play defense anymore. But, hey, that's still fine. Um, But with Dallas, I think Dallas was the one team where a lot of people thought they were, you know, had them around the three spot or four spot this year. And I I think they're a playoff team, but I, I, I didn't think... I was a little lower on them than that. Um, and I understand, I get it. Like Luca's incredible. Like I wouldn't have been shocked if he, you know, if he, uh, if he won MVP this season, but it's going to be hard for him. I mean, without Christoph Porzingis for um, a little while, at least, and with some of their uh, players around him, uh, he's just going to have to do a lot. And I think like, uh, we'll see. I think he'll, he'll get better as the season progresses, as he plays himself into shape. But I think it's a lot to ask for, of him, even if as good as he is. Uh, and I think they'll be a playoff team, but I think they'll be a, um, a bottom tier playoff team, not not you know one of the best teams in the West. Right, and and I think if I think we can officially say if the Suns finish higher than the Mavs, then they made the correct selection in the draft in 2018. Yeah, you can say that, that right now. Exactly. Um, I think it's every day. T- Somehow, Aiton always beats Luca when when they play them. When the Suns always beat the Mavs ever since those two were drafted. So, I'm not looking at any other statistics except that record uh, to say that Aiton, uh, the Suns made the right choice. Yeah, and I, I think I think one other interesting thing is like where the Rockets finish, right? Because they have this impending cloud of whether James Harden wants to get traded. But even outside of them, you know, they have. Christian Wood, who was a little bit of a like a stats darling in terms of how efficient he was in you know after the, the the Pistons traded Drummond, but nobody really knew how sustainable that was, and he by all accounts looks amazing. John Wall looks explosive. Um, so you know if you were if you were Houston, would you try and hold on to Harden and say you know we are perhaps a you know Western Conference dark horse or are you trying to get out from under him? Honestly, if I was Houston, I would keep James Harden. Um, I think whatever trade you make for James Harden, there's no way your team will be better this year than than it would with Harden on it. Uh, he's just that good. Even if he doesn't show up to practice, even if he does nothing else except roll out of bed and go on the basketball court and give you 40 points, like he's capable of doing that. He that's he's literally done that this season. Um, so I would I would hold on to him because it's not like he's uh, his contract is over when the season's over. He's under contract for two years. So uh, unless, you know, things get worse in the locker room, unless he keeps trying to, like, escalate things and up the ante to, like, really 
make that trade demand um, as painful as possible for for them. I would I would kind of stay the course with what we're seeing from the, those other guys, like you're saying, with the Wall and Christian Wood, and see what they have. Yeah, I'm sorry for having to put you in Tillman Fertitta's shoes for a minute. Um, but but <laughs> on the flip side, uh, I know you were someone who was a huge proponent of Maury trying to, you know, pulling the trigger and trading for Harden um, in Philly. And Philly right now is, you know, the top team in the um, in the East. And they've won all their games when Embiid is in. And the, the one game they've lost is when Embiid was out. And I think that might be one of the positives of trading for Harden where when Embiid is out, they can rely on someone to literally carry their team because he has done this, you know, for, you know, he did it last year and he can do it constantly in Harden. But on the flip side, you're losing that, assuming, you know, that you would have to trade Ben Simmons, you are losing a huge defensive presence, um, you know, someone who can guard Russell Westbrook and then Siakam and, you know, helping them get the best defensive rating in the league. Have you seen anything since you, you know, since the Sixers have playing that might change your mind and say they should hold on and see what they have? Or do you still think they should uh, trade for Harden? I still think they, they should trade for Harden. I, it's... Look, it's great for them that they've gotten off to a good start, and I think the the better they continue to play, the uh, the lower the chances of them pulling the trigger for Harden are this season. But all that being said, I still think their ceiling is somewhat limited with the Simmons and Bead pairing. Um, they're both great players, uh, but I think they they don't complement each other as well as Harden and Bead might, um, and and I think very likely will. So. I, I still think that's a trade you got to do. I think the ceiling for them immediately would rise to sort of championship contender. And I don't really see that in this team right now. That's, that's interesting. So I guess, I think you are right in that there is probably, they have reached probably the, the maximum fit possible in that Embiid, you know, can be an offensive force when required, like in the Toronto game when, you know, everyone else was off. So he just absolutely dominated, got to the line whenever he needed to. Um, you contrast that with when everyone else is shooting well, Seth Curry, Tobias Harris, you know, they have offensive explosions. But the simmons Embiid pairing on offense will always create some issues because, you know, of Simmons's, um capped potential in terms of shooting. So if yeah. you don't think that they are a championship contender who in the east do you do you think is in that 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 um that tier of like championship contender yeah and i think the sixers could be close i mean if they really play as well as they played this far in their record they're the number one seed in the east yeah I, no one can deny that they're a championship contender uh, i just I, I don't know if this will continue at their pace but to answer your question, um, I think Milwaukee's still there. Uh, I know their record hasn't been as strong as it um, has been in years past, but I think that's fine. This No one cares about the Bucks' regular season anymore uh, after the last two years. And I, I, I really think this this is a pretty pretty good team that uh, that they put around Giannis. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the year they, they start figuring some things out if, you know, but Coach Bud actually make some adjustments in the playoffs for the first time in his career. Um, <laughs> so I think they're, so that they're definitely in there. Uh, I think you've got to put Brooklyn in there, even with some of the defensive struggles and their, their, uh, some of the charm coming uh, off of them after those first two games. Um, I, I, I think they'll be fine. As long as they have KD and Kyrie and a bunch of other good players on their team, I think they'll be fine. I will say, I think that like, the Nets are, are also somewhat limited by their, lack of ability to play defense um, on that roster, but 
we can save that for another time. Um, I think those two are there. Uh, I'm not quite sure what to think of Boston right now. Um, I think it's so much is dependent on how good Kemba looks when he comes back. Um, he can be, you know, 90% of what he's been in the past. I think they're back right there. Um, even with, you know, 70% of Kemba, I think that that's a really good team uh, just on how good Jason Tatum is and how great Jalen Brown has been playing this season. Um, yeah. And so I think those are the teams right there. And then, you know, Sixers right now are probably the same tier as the Celtics uh, to, me, in, to me, but um, I still have sort of the Nets and the, the Bucks uh, slightly above them. And it's so early that it's like I'm forgetting about the the team that's that uh, that that uh, represented them in the in the finals last year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like the Heat are always going to be there. Um, it's just you know they. It's so early that like some of these teams haven't quite woken up yet. But I think that's the group right there. Yeah, I think that that's probably um, a little bit of an accurate assessment. I think you know Brooklyn, the Dinwiddie injury is is actually going to, you know, might be more impactful than people originally imagined just because TLC is a nice player, um, but I think I would probably prefer him playing in the second unit, um, especially given the struggles that Landry Shamit has had early on in the season. And he just provides like a, a more reliable offensive option for them um, if he's going to be starting. And Lovert just hasn't been, he hasn't fit the role that, or he hasn't met the expectation of the role that they kind of, put onto him, which is the Manu Ginobili sixth man kind of role. He hasn't really showed up there yet, but it will be interesting to see. Um, just personally, I think um, Phoenix's coaching staff is kind of a throwback to one of your favorite teams, which is the, you know, the uh, run and gun eight seconds or less uh, Phoenix teams of the mid 2000s with Nash and D'Antoni both on the staff. So I wanted to like, maybe ask you a little bit more about how your fandom started and, um, you know, how you became a Suns fan. Yeah. Um, and that, uh, you kind of, uh, we were pretty accurate right there. <laughs> the Nets coaching staff is probably why I became a Suns fan. Um, no, but I, I never really watched basketball or much sports, uh, until I randomly turned on a Suns game, a Suns Mavs game in 2005. Uh, and it was a playoff game against the Suns and Mavericks. Um, and it was incredible. Like I, I didn't even mean to watch basketball that night, but I ended up watching that game. And the Suns won that game. Steve Nash uh, dropped forty-eight points, I believe. I, I think, which was his playoff career high. And I was just like, this team was incredible. This seven seconds or less style. I didn't know anything about them at the time, but um, I grew. I kept watching them, uh, and I grew to really like them. And especially Steve Nash, that guy that he became my favorite player. Um, he still is sort of the favorite player uh, I've ever watched. Um, and now he's obviously coaching the Nets. So maybe I like the Nets a little bit um, because of that. But yeah, I think all that to say, I think like the seven seconds or less sons, Steve Nash, or why I randomly turned on a TV in uh, the Bay Area in 2005 and became a Suns fan. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's pretty cool. Um, I think, uh I don't remember too much from those. I, I What I think I remember the most uh, from those Suns teams is because I was around, I think, eight or nine, um, uh, you know, in uh, I was born in 2000. So I was eight or nine around 08, 09. But I, I remember mostly a couple of things. One, the, the whole like problem of the 2007, the semifinals um, where you had Robert Ory who hip checked 
uh, Steve Nash. And um, I guess, like, what was it like, like, going through, like, being a fan in that moment and, like, in, in the aftermath, too, where, like, David Stern, like, says, like, no, we have to suspend them, whatever. Like, how, 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 how are you processing that as a fan? Man, you invited me on here to have me relive my trauma. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> no, I, that was... Yeah, I mean, that 2007 series, like, still definitely haunts me. <laughs> like, I will never, uh, Robert Horry, like, it's to this day one of my least favorite players simply because of that one moment. Um, that, yeah, it was brutal. I think, like, I think that was the year where I still think the Suns, uh, that was the best Suns team uh, that I've seen. I think the 2006-2007 Suns team, uh, where Damari Sardamar coming back from his injury and looking great. Right. Um they were just really deep from the year before. Uh, they were really good, and I think they, I, I think they would have beat the Spurs had, were it not for that that brutal suspension that put Amari out, Amari and his backup Boris Diaw out for that for that uh, important game in the playoffs. Um, but I think that was the year that that definitely uh, I think about the most in terms of them being a uh, championship contender and never quite getting there. Uh, and then 2010 is probably the year that was the most fun for me and, and it's my favorite Suns team of all time that they made the Western Conference Finals that year when I think really that people thought the Suns era was kind of over because the year before that they had Shaq that was a Shaq experiment and it failed right and that's all, actually Steve Nash's stint as a GM when he trades Sean Marion for Shaq um yeah sorry Steve Kerr. oh Steve Kerr Steve Kerr sorry yes yeah exactly uh, and it failed, and to Steve Kerr's credit, he erased it after a year, and basically it was like uh, addition by subscri- subtraction. They they uh, moved Shaq away, they brought in Channing Fry and made him take threes, and all of a sudden the Suns were really fun again. And that was, they really overperformed that year. There was a three seed in the West. Um, I think on paper and talent-wise, that was not sort of the, their most talented team, but I think they overperformed, and they went to the Western Conference Finals and were lost a brutal game five on a Ron Artest put back. He was, he was named Ron Artest at the time. Right. So I mean, yes. ago yeah. was. Um, and then, and then losing game six. So I think that was a year that also hurt, but uh, was definitely the most fun along the way. And then since then, you know, it's been nothing but pain and misery as a Suns fan. Yeah. I mean, I, I was even, <laughs> I was going to ask um, the, the last decade of the Suns fan, I think, they didn't. They haven't made the playoffs since 2010. Um, so, like, what what were some of the high points uh, of being a Suns fan over the last decade in terms of like <laughs> enjoyment? <laughs> uh, let's see. Probably when Drake named dropped Devin Booker in a song. Um, I'm trying. To, no, uh, I think that the the best was probably the 13 14 season when the Suns. Everyone thought the Suns were trying to tank, and they kind of were trying to tank, but then they ended up being good and winning 48 games uh, and missed the playoffs by one game. That was the Bledsoe Dragic year. Um, mm. And they were pretty good. Uh, and so that that was a fun year. Um, the only bad part about that year is because they were surprisingly good. They were Everyone thought the Suns would, you know, uh, be good for the next couple of years. Um, they were sort of an up and coming team, and then they kind of just folded under that. The whole sort of Bledsoe, Dragic, Isaiah Thomas fiasco happened. Uh, they had to, you know, break break up that team, and then really started tanking. Uh, and it was like four years of just uh, really bad basketball, with Devin Booker being the uh, the lone sort of bright spot there um, until we got to last year. Uh, 
with they became a little bit respectable with Rubio and Monty Williams putting an actual culture in the team. Um, and then this year, uh, obviously, I think they, they, this is the best team they've had in a decade. Yeah, I, I actually I had forgotten. I think I think one of the one of the funniest soundest memories I had was probably the Bledsoe tweet where he says, "I don't want to be here." Um, probably on comedy, that's probably up there for for Suns moments. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but I, I think one thing uh, this is kind of like a I guess I don't relate too much with it um, with the Warriors, although I you know started becoming a fan of them uh, after Steph got drafted. Um, so like there were some growing pains years, but for the most part, there was always, there was always hope, but I, I will say for like, I was, I'm also a fan for the 49ers and there were some pretty dark years, but I think like when you have a team that's not too good, you start convincing yourself that they're like players on the team who are like much better than they actually are. Or, like they have more potential. So do you have any players like that for the Suns where, where you remember and you think back and you're like, I was really high on them. I thought they could like do much more than they actually did. Oh man, um, yeah. I so I think the biggest example of that for me probably is Josh Jackson. Uh, I I was convinced that you know he was one of the best players in that draft, uh, and definitely should be taken ahead of Jason Tatum. Um, and the Suns were picking fourth dra- that draft, uh, and the Celtics after their trade were picking third. And there was this whole story about how like Ryan McDonough orchestrated like sneakily uh, Josh Jackson to cancel his workout with the Celtics so that the Celtics would pass on him and they, and then which they did by drafting Jason Tatum. And we were like celebrating a Suns fans. Oh, we got Josh Jackson, et cetera. And then he ended up being not good as a basketball player in the NBA. Um, now he's on the Pistons. Hopefully he can, you know, make a role for himself as uh, as an NBA player. But I think Josh Jackson's definitely one where I was like, there's no way this guy will not be at least a decent NBA player. And I was wrong. Um, I, I mean, he, I will say he is still very young. I think, I think I was actually talking to uh, one of my, one of my friends because we were watching the Warriors game and he was actually consistently driving and getting buckets and I was like you know Josh Jackson's only 23 but then uh, but then I remembered like he was basically in the G League for a while so I don't know hopefully hopefully he can rebound um he's looked fairly okay this year I will I will say so maybe maybe the long-term play uh I'm not sure if it'll work out in, in respect to Tatum which is also funny because I think I saw some clip where Tatum said he wanted to get drafted by the Suns so yeah I, I, I saw that much. <laughs> yeah um, uh, that definitely, yeah, that definitely hurt. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that one, and more recently, I wasn't really on this train, but a big part of, uh, a big chunk of Suns fans, I would say, were not on board with trading Kelly Oubre, um, in this Chris Paul deal. And so I think that's an example where, uh, a lot of players were sort of convinced themselves that because this guy was so likable and like embraced the culture and really helped, you know, make the Suns fun in, in, in a couple different ways over the last year and a half um, that we shouldn't trade him. And it's easy to do that as fans, especially when you're, you know, like you were saying on a mediocre or a bad team. Um, but, you know, in, when, when good players, really good players make themselves available, you give up on players with promise um, as often as you can. Yeah, and I think, I mean, one thing that you had kind of brought up, which is Kelly Oubre, like, kind of bringing a culture, I think he was, 
he was one of the people who really pushed like the the valley right yeah right valley but, now, but you know but now we have the fellas which so this actually i was wanted to ask you more about so was this just a common like meme in son's twitter like the hooters with the fellas stuff or is this something that that you found and like and like what and like what do you think about now like the actual team like uh twitter account like embracing it and stuff like that <laughs> Yeah, I would say it's, it wasn't really a common thing until I think in the bubble at some point. Um, I had seen these tweets before, and I think maybe about a year ago, like we joked about them. But it, really in the bubble, it was like me and maybe, you know, one or two others on Sun's Twitter, like just started uh, retweeting old Devin Booker's teams about or tweets um, or screenshot of them about how he would tweet all the time about going to Hooters when he was probably like 15 or 16. Um uh, about going to Hooters or Applebee's or Buffalo Wild Wings or a number of other chain restaurants. Um, he just had endless tweets about these things. And it was just funny. It was amusing to think about 15 or 16-year-old Devin Booker, you know, always going to these chain restaurants um, wherever he lived, and and especially Hooters. And there was one in particular where, um, uh, which was uh, Book's tweet where it went, I'm thinking Hooters tonight with the fellas. And Again, I just thought it was really amusing because this is like 15 or 16-year-old Devin Booker tweeting about going to Hooters with the fellas. Um, and I, that it just that's where it started. And uh, as the Suns continued to win, it kind of became like a celebratory uh, phrase and kind of just stuck with. And we just, I guess, with the help of uh, a number of other Suns fans on, on Twitter, we just kind of blew it up into the fellas becoming kind of a joking uh phrase which has somehow stuck yeah i think it's uh it's a it's a good it's a good maneuver because now you will forever be associated with hopefully a very um promising portion of sun's basketball history uh moving from the valley to the fellas um yeah and i think i think you know that might be one of the that's probably the thing the, the you know the the uh way that i found out about you which is all the the fellas tweets and, you know, um, campaign for the Suns, real pain for, you know, whoever they were playing. Um, but I think you've been on Twitter for, for a while. So is this, you know, has this last, you know, the bubble and, and, uh, you know, forward been where you feel like more people have like followed you or was there, was there like a period of time when you were getting a lot of traction before that? Yeah. Um, I, I would say it's probably like a couple of years ago uh, where in the playoffs, um, I just, uh, I think I'm forgetting if it was 2017 or 2018, but that's where really I had, you know, a, a, a meme about Greg Popovich sort of blew up. And that's, that's when uh, I probably had a couple thousand followers at the time and started uh, increasing a lot. Um, and uh, just sort of since then, I would say it's just been like random other tweets blowing up and getting a lot of followers from them with just jokes about the nba or sometimes other things but mostly the nba um and th those are the things that that i guess uh i tend to gain the most followers from uh so i would say it was mostly pre-bubble pre-fellas uh the fellas thing has just been kind of an amusing thing for like uh one team's uh collective of fans yeah um, and so I, I think, um, 
it's it's interesting like this this like kind of subset of like twitter which is like nba twitter which you know they they have all these like talks consistently about you know different players and i don't know where you would categorize yourself within there probably more more on like the joking memeing end but you know sometimes athletes do notice and i think you tweeted out that um kelly Ubre had had blocked you so do you do you hear back from like athletes or like do you know why they have blocked you or do you just randomly realize like oh I have been blocked by Kelly Oubre? Uh, it's definitely mostly the latter. Um, just me realizing. Uh, I, I I do think that like I remember having a realization of why Kelly Oubre blocked me because I I noticed um pretty soon after I think that he blocked me and I I I think like the only thing I could point it back to was that I had a joke tweet from like not too long before that where i like put up pulled up a fake you know the espn trade machine and yeah. i yeah i i basically i traded kelly Ubre away for like the Mar- the morris twins marcus and marquise morris as a joke because no one who was ever, who was a suns fan would ever want those guys back on the suns again um <laughs> and it, it was clearly a joke and no like any suns fan would acknowledge that, that that was a joke it was like a it was a uh, it was a bad trade intentionally on behalf of the Suns. That was a joke. And I don't think Kelly Oubre understood it was a joke and saw that and decided to block me because I was trading him away from the Suns. Uh, fast forward a few months, he is he did get traded away from the Suns. And and post post blocking, he is uh you've kind of put a, your own version of the curse on him, so um, you know, or maybe he's cursed himself by blocking you, but hopefully he can reverse it <laughs> soon. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I I did not mean to curse Kelly Oubre. I I reverse any curse that has been placed on him. Hope he has a great game tomorrow. He's actually playing tonight. The Warriors have a back to back. They play the Kings actually. All right. So if he makes more than one three tonight, if he shoots more than over fifty percent, you know why. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So the curse has been lifted. Kelly Oubre, you can now stop just dunking and do do maybe some more stuff. Um. <laughs> have you ever? Have you ever? I guess maybe just like. Uh, just fun, like fun stuff like have you ever sent out a tweet and then maybe like innocuously and then gotten more response to it than than you thought you would like maybe i guess like a take that was a little too spicy or for the most part you know what you're doing when you're tweeting something out most of the time I'm, I, I think i'm generally self-aware enough to know um roughly what to expect as a response for things i tweet um sometimes random stuff blows up more than i thought it would i just I tend to think like something is uh, stupid oftentimes that I tweet about, to be honest, and it blows up uh, more. And it, it often, and as you know, if you follow me, um, a lot of my tweets are sarcastic and I get a lot of, you know, earnest replies to them uh, thinking uh, being serious. And I think those are always, uh, th- those can be fun um, when it's about harmless stuff like the NBA, uh, just to see how many people actually thought I was uh, being serious about something that I was very clearly joking about. Um, and so, and then it's a reminder that it's the internet and not pe- people might not get sarcasm all the time. So I think that happens quite a bit, uh, but really um, when it's about non-trivial stuff, uh, non-NBA stuff, um, I, I tend to not, I tend to be pretty uh, aware of what, what might be coming that way. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think for the most part, I, I think, uh, I think maybe just like the one time that I saw something is you, you did like a fake numerology post, um, about like Kobe 
related to oh, yeah. like the like like the number of people who had tested positive and and there were people who were telling you to delete it and I was like I, I don't think that he was really like trying to actually you know make fun of make fun of you know Kobe or anything but I, I think yeah. you know that's one of the dangers of uh, of uh, sarcasm I guess <laughs> yeah 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 that that's definitely probably a good recent example of uh, yeah there were a lot of people who. Uh, were very upset at me um, and you know I even clarified to someone in response that this is obviously a joke about the people who make these forced numerology posts and not not Kobe and his tragic death itself um, but you know it's, it's Twitter yeah um, so this is like a college like a college radio and you know I was wondering if you outside of like pro basketball, do you, do you thought, did you, what, did you ever really get into college basketball or did you, do you have like a college basketball team um, that you really watch or do you just watch maybe like March Madness here and there? Yeah, to be honest, no, I haven't. Um, I, I did have a college radio show of my own, by the way, when I was in college, but that was uh, more for music and less, less for sports. Um, oh, I, cool. yeah. Yeah. I, I, I went to a school that was, uh, that only had D3 sports. So I never really got into, you know, college sports, I think mostly because of that. Um, and so most of my college basketball uh, knowledge comes from reading and following people um, on Twitter who are more into it uh, or, you know, <laughs> the last five years being a fan of a, a really bad NBA team forces you to kind of study up from an NBA draft perspective on some of these college teams and college players. So I, I, I paid attention that way, but as the Suns have started to get better over the last year and the draft position has, you know, dropped, I, I paid less attention. If the Suns uh, didn't force me to pay attention to the NBA draft every year, I would not know anything about college basketball. <laughs> you know, that's, to that's totally fine. I mean, as like a quality of game thing uh, it's you know definitely a tier tier worse um yeah if you ever you know if i can if we can get you on board maybe if ucla makes like the sweet 16 then we, maybe we maybe you can fire off one tweet uh about about them uh about the college basketball yeah. team yeah <laughs> i'll watch i'll watch ucla uh marsh madness or tournament game this year for sure yeah, they. I mean, the team uh, would have been a lot more interesting. I think their best player just recently tore his ACL, which is pretty tragic. And I think in call in general, this this college sports season should have a huge asterisk on it. I don't really like how they're running it, to be honest. If you really follow it, you'll see that a lot of teams are postponing games yeah. because of COVID and stuff. And it's really, you know, the players are not the players are not getting paid. So I don't really have any. Uh, you know, strong college allegiances, but UCLA is a fun team. So, um, yeah, maybe maybe look out for them. Uh, they also do have some draft prospects who might be around the twenty range. So maybe more, maybe also uh, some sun scouting there. Um, nice, good to know. Yeah, I'll hit you up for my scouting reports when when the draft gets closer. Yeah, um, I think I think um, we're coming up soon to where you have to leave. But uh, I did want to ask. Um, you, you tweet also a lot about pop culture and, um, I was wondering if you had any like movies or TV shows that you really enjoyed in 2020. It's obviously a very different year in terms of like not going to movie theaters or anything, but, um, you know, I, I you had tweeted about Wonder Woman 84, which I'm sure is not on your, on your list, but, uh, did you have any, anything that you recommend that people should watch? 
Yeah, Wonder Woman 84 is definitely not on my list. But if you do want to watch it and, you know, laugh about it, then go ahead. Um, but you're right that it is a weird year. I really miss going to the theaters. I'm a big movie theater guy. Um, try to watch as many movies in the theaters as I can normally. It's also a weird year because apparently a lot of the best movies of the year are, aren't available for us to watch yet. They're coming out more widely in like January, February, uh, later in January and February from what I've been reading. So I haven't, I haven't seen a lot of those. But in terms of movies I've enjoyed this year, uh, I really like this one movie called Another Round, which I watched a couple weeks ago. It's a Danish movie. I think I rented it on Prime. But it's, it's with that actor Mads Mikkelsen, um, who's a villain in those things. I think he was in Casino Royale, that Bond movie, the guy who bleeds out of his eye. Um, he's a very recognizable face. He's in one of the Star Wars, too. But, uh, but I really enjoyed that movie. Check that out. Um, I also liked Soul, the Pixar movie. I think that's another strong uh, Pixar movie. So um, they, they rarely miss, but this was one of their better ones. Um, uh, those two come to mind as far as recent ones I've seen. Uh, I think uh, the, the really what sticks out to me in my mind is the, the Wonder Woman 84 was probably the one of the more recent movies I've seen as well. And I, 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 it, I, I don't know why. I just really did not enjoy that movie. That's why you, if you follow me on Twitter, you probably saw me tweet a lot of things about it. Um, but apologies to anyone who does like it, but n not for me. Check out these other ones instead. Awesome. Uh, you know, I thank you. Thank you so much for for coming on. Um, I think before you before you head out, uh, you're doing a really cool thing um, with uh, your photography. Uh, uh, I think you can you can find more information once again at Shrieky Shooter on Twitter. Um, but I was wondering if you could maybe talk about um, what you're doing there, uh, just so that people know. Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I do photography on the side. It's not you know my, my day job, but it is something um, I do quite a bit of uh, and I enjoy doing. And uh, I do, uh, I sell prints on my website, shotsbystreaker.com and sort of any of the money I make through photography, um, uh, I, I donate to, nonprofits in my community uh or, or other more urgent causes that might come up so um if you if you're interested at all definitely check it out um shotsbystreaker.com it's on my twitter as i was just saying um i sell prints there and money goes to charity but even if you're not interested i very much encourage you to uh this year in 2021 to find a nonprofit that's local to you and and try to try to support them as, as however you can yeah, uh, I think um, I'm really, you know, really grateful for people like you who are, you know, helping out the community that way. And uh, it's just really awesome that, you know, you can you can do all that and also provide some some great humor on Twitter, too. Um, Shrieker, thank you so much for coming on. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see more from you soon. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much for having me on.